Welcome to Briefly Legal, your podcast briefing on legal news, developments, and legislation on the go. Brought to you by the attorneys of Crow and Dunleavy. The following should not be considered as a substitute for legal advice. Visit CrowDunleavy.com for more information. Hello, loyal listeners. It's your host, Adam Childers, back with the podcast Briefly Legal, brought to you by the law firm of Crow and Dunleavy. Well, it's a blustery spring day here in the Crow's Nest, but I am hunkered down and ready to do some more work as we continue our march through legal issues for uh, this particular year. And today, what we're going to be talking about is a, a topic that gets a whole lot of scrutiny, but I would guess to say that not a lot of us know as much as we would like to know when it comes to this topic, and that is cybersecurity. We're going to be talking specifically about a whole new round of regulations that are coming to the uh, the various industries and sectors that are out there. And I'm promised that I'll even get a little bit of discussion today about cryptocurrency and what it is and, and, and how it relates to the subject matter today. But when I'm having this kind of high-level discussion, I know who to turn to, and that is members of the Cybersecurity and Data Privacy Practice Group. Uh, so I am joined today by none other than Anthony Hendricks, as well as Drew Palmer. Anthony and Drew, say hello to everybody. Hey, everyone. I'm super excited to be back. Hi, everybody. Hey there. Well, Drew is new to the show, but you might remember Anthony having been here uh, in the past. Both of them, as I mentioned, members of the practice group and, um, you know, great minds to draw upon uh, the information we're going to be talking about today. Specifically, Anthony is the uh, chair of our cybersecurity and data privacy practice group. And, you know, if you're thinking his voice might sound, you know, a little familiar, well, that's because the uh, opening to each of our briefly legal shows is now uh, nothing other than the dulcet tones of Anthony Hendricks. And and why wouldn't we have him? Because, of course, he has his own podcast. Uh, he tells me he's up to episode 90, which I think he's flexing on me a bit uh, as that dwarfs the uh, 33 or 34 or so that we have here on Briefly Legal. But um, he puts together a weekly podcast, which is entitled uh, Nothing About You Says Computer Technology. It is a, a great look at the technology sphere with a special emphasis for those who are not always thought of as being the folks that would be in that particular area. And it's a, it's a great outreach by Anthony and a great testament to his expertise in the area. And of course, Drew Palmer is not only a member of our firm now, but was for many years before he left. And he left us and went away for about four years to a, a client uh, in the energy industry. And, you know, really what he was doing as we look back on it was really getting prepared to help out all of our clients because he helped out that particular client with a lot of the issues we're going to be talking about today. And I can tell you, as a a good friend and fellow director of Drew's, it was uh, a moment of pure uh, happiness for all of us when we found out that he'd be returning to the firm. And so it's great to have him here and a a director in the Cybersecurity and Data Privacy Practice Group. So guys, let's jump into it. And Drew, I want to get started over with you And, and maybe the place to start is, you know, how did we get here? The headlines are sort of replete with uh, stories of cybersecurity breaches and, and, and worst case scenarios. And But, you know, it seems like there's now some real traction growing about trying to regulate and better govern these issues and try to stop them before they happen. But remind our listeners, how, how did we get here to where this became such a hot button issue? 
Well, Adam, thanks. I, I think you can go back a long ways and sort of track through how cyber threats have hurt or damaged, you know, American commerce and really global commerce um, decades, right? It's been a problem that's been growing for a long time. And I think you kind of started off the program saying, you know, this is an area that a lot of people don't have a lot of experience with. And because it's sort of a high tech area, I think there's a natural sort of propensity to try to avoid learning a lot about it and let it, letting the experts or the techies, if you will, sort of focus on it. And so for years, I think that's worked really well for American businesses. But as we've seen over the last three to five years or even 10 years, the sophistication and the tools with which you know nefarious cyber actors can leverage has really grown to a point where everyone needs to start getting involved in protecting their businesses and protecting their assets. And that includes the federal government. Um, I think the federal government, after the colonial pipeline disaster of last year, really started to realize that they needed to step in and try to dip their toe into this, the regulation pool. And so what you've seen is after Colonial Pipeline, which was, if you haven't heard about it, Colonial Pipeline's a large midstream company of the United States. They were hacked. And as a result of that hack, they chose to shut off what they called their operational network, which effectively meant that they couldn't pump gas across their pipeline, which then had the downstream effect of driving up gas prices all along the East Coast. And I think everyone who was driving a car all of a sudden understood that cyber and cyber events could actually affect their gas price. And it sort of woke not only consumers and voters up, but also the federal government up to the fact that something needed to be done. And, and all that coming from what, one employee's credentials being you know, swiped or duplicated somehow? Exactly. They, they, there's a lot of different ways that you can get into a network. But, you know, typically what hackers will do is try to expose the credentials of an employee. And so what you've seen is after Colonial Pipeline arose, the Department of Homeland Security really got involved and issued an emergency security directive. It's the first time they've ever done it. Um, and in that emergency security directive, going back to sort of stepping your toe back in the pool of regulation, they didn't actually regulate anything. The only thing they said is, you need to tell us what your plans are. Tell us, you know, the basic makeup and scope of your cyber protections for your networks. Sounds like a very governmental initial response. Please, everyone tell me what's going on, and then we will make some decisions right. based on what you have to tell us. No, that's, that's exactly how it went down. And a few months after that, after they kind of collect that information, they start looking around like, oh, okay, there's some general best practices here. Now we're going to impose those on everyone. And so they issued a secret emergency security directive, a second one, later in the summer. And, and it had a whole host of different restrictions. You know, for example, they told effectively every midstream company in the country that they had to change every user password in their entire company within 30 days, which is not something that IT programs are really used to. Logistically right? challenging. Yeah. Yeah. And and if you think, you know, it creates all sorts of problems when you don't have processes to do that because there are programs that have their own passwords. They're not people. Do we have to change those passwords? You know, if those passwords aren't exposed, you know, through certain networks, do they present the same type of risk as the CEO's password does? And so there's a lot of back and forth between industry and government um, once that security directive came out. And then it was no longer secret because the New York Times got a copy of it and, and did a story on it. And so I can sit here and talk to you about it now. But for a while there, the IT departments and the legal departments at a bunch of the country's energy companies 
had effectively had a gag order. They couldn't talk to publicly about the fact that the federal government had come in and actually started to impose controls on the information technology departments of the country's infrastructure industry. And so I take it then that at least in the those early days after a colonial pipeline and some other, you know, notable examples out there, we were playing defense and we were being very reactionary in our regulation. But but Anthony, I, I I'm guessing that we've begun to catch up a little bit. Are we seeing regulation that is now not quite as cloak and dagger as what Drew described? And what is the current status of that? Sure. The federal government is coming out with some new pieces of regulation. And and so I I think we need to kind of drill down into some of the things that kind of motivated them to act. There's been a lot of high profile cybersecurity events beyond just Colonial Pipeline. And so I kind of want to just hit on three uh, that have kind of impacted where the government wants to go and where the government wants to regulate. The first is the impact on schools. A lot of schools have gone virtual because of the pandemic, and these schools are not immune to ransomware attacks. And so the impact on schools and on students can be devastating, where schools are canceled for multiple days in a row and parents have to scramble uh, to find something for their children to do during the day. Uh, It's impacted the consistency of education for our children. And so that's something that got the attention not only of the headlines, but of parents and voters. And the government has followed suit with trying to provide additional resources, which we're going to talk about a little bit later. So we grow up with snow days and and now there's ransomware days. Absolutely. (laughs) Okay. Just just checking. All right. So schools, right? Uh, Another important area uh, where we've seen a lot of coverage in the media is attacks on municipalities, attacks on cities. Just last year, uh, the city of Tulsa was a victim of a ransomware attack. Uh, there have been a number of other cities that have had cybersecurity incidences that have shut down services to the public. And so now you're seeing all of these cyber incidences having real life impacts on everyday people. And that has certainly gotten the attention of most Americans. The third thing that I kind of want to talk about is the current conflict between Ukraine and Russia. And you may be sitting here thinking, hey, I live in the United States or I live in Oklahoma. How does this impact me? And so CISA issued a warning this year about the risk of cyber attacks from Russia spilling over into U.S. networks. But there are other impacts that I think we're all going to feel and notice because of this conflict. Ukraine provides a lot of IT support services for companies. Uh, So a lot of help desk services for companies are from companies based in Ukraine. And according to the Ukraine Minister of Foreign Affairs, more than 100 of the world's Fortune 500 companies rely at least partially on Ukraine IT services. So if there's an attack or a disruption in Ukraine, then there's a supply chain impact on companies in the United States. And so these three stories and trends are things that motivate the federal government to create new legislation or enact new rules. We'll talk about one of those here in just a moment when we return to you, Anthony, the, the FTC's safeguard rule. But that's was preceded by, you know, a raft of other regulations as well. Drew, kind of talk us through what steps have been taken to address those issues. Well, like you would expect, the federal government doesn't regulate in one single place, right? They do it. I think we mentioned earlier, they do it by industry. And where you would expect them to work first is the place where they see the largest risks. And so, for example, financial industry companies, banks, credit unions have been getting regulated by the federal government to ensure that people's account numbers, people's social security numbers, the types of financial information we store with banks 
are secure. And that's really where I think the federal government kind of started. Then they moved to, you know, health information. And we've everyone's heard about HIPAA and, and hospitals and healthcare providers needing to keep that information secure. And what I think Colonial Pipeline, the Ukraine war, you know, Log4J happened last year, Solar Winds. I mean, we're just throwing out, you know, titles that may be memes to people, but were actual cyber events that occurred last year. You know, we got to a point where I think Congress finally decided they had to act. And like Many times when Congress acts, they find the piece of legislation that's going to pass and they start attaching things to it. And so the big bill that passed last year was the Bipartisan Infrastructure Bill. It was the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, if anyone remembers that name. But that's actually just comprised of a lot of different bills and things that were being discussed by Congress at the time. And two of them that they included in that act last November were the state and local cybersecurity grant program and the rural and municipal utility cybersecurity plan. Different buckets of money, but really all this does is give states and local municipalities and tribal governments money to develop their own cybersecurity plans. So remember earlier when we were talking about how the feds dip their toe into regulation, the first thing they ask for is, well, what's your plan? Right. And then the next thing they come up with is, okay, this is what you need to do. That's how I interpret this f- sort of first step. They're asking everyone, this time because they know enough, they're not asking for everyone, municipalities or tribal governments, that is, to say, hey, yes, here's our plan. They're actually specifying what needs to be in the plan. So you need to have, you know, you need to control access. You need to have a way to protect both the physical security of your environment and your technological network security. Um, you need to have rules that govern who you do business with. And are you asking your customers and clients what exposure they put your network to? Or more importantly, the real hot topic is third party and supply chain risk, right? Have you looked at the vendors that host your data or that come in and work on your switches and network equipment? And what are their security practices? Because we've seen that, you know, while you may do a great job as a business at securing your network, third parties often that you give access to can cause problems as well because they have, you know, faulty security practices or or don't have a plan for themselves. And so anyway, to kind of summarize that, what that bipartisan infrastructure bill did was just put over a billion dollars into state, tribal, and local governments as an incentive to start to develop these plans because I, I think the federal government realized that's that's a real vulnerable place in, in our country. So, Anthony, I can see sort of the evolution of, you know, just asking for a plan and then kind of putting in action, you know, more details about what need to be in them. But I referenced it earlier, but as part of that evolution, tell us about the the safeguard rule that came out of the FTC. Sure. The FTC is the closest thing that the United States has to a national cybersecurity enforcement agency uh, because so many Industries and groups fall under the FTC's ability to make enforcement actions. And so the final safeguard rule, uh, which came about in December of last year, regulates financial institutions and places additional requirements on types of businesses that we wouldn't traditionally think of as a financial institution. So mortgage lenders, check cashers, account servers, uh, accounting firms. Uh, And car dealerships are among the type of industries and companies that are regulated. And so this new rule requires them to have in place a information security program. So basically a a plan for if something goes uh, bad so that they can be prepared and know what to do next. And so a lot of these companies for the first time are having to sit down and have those discussions of what they're supposed to do 
to become cyber ready and to be capable of addressing any type of incident that may happen. Well, that harkens back to what we were saying at the beginning. We're, we're seeing regulations kind of move sector to sector, industry to industry. I mean, you just named a few car dealerships that, you know, w- was surprising to me, didn't realize was within that ambit. Do you see this continuing to leach out into other industries? I can think about just about any industry at some point is going to have an intersection with technology. Obviously, some are going to have a bigger impact on the national economy and, and, and security, but this is kind of the tip of the iceberg, right? Uh, Yes, we're going to see more and more of these type of regulations, especially when the federal government starts creating more requirements for critical infrastructures, because there are 16 categories of critical infrastructure, but how they're defined is very broad. So, for instance, one of the categories is food. And so you would think of, you know, our supply chain, but it also includes restaurants. And so uh, when they start creating more of these types of rules, it's going to impact more and more industries. Well, and speaking of industries that could be impacted, this is where we get to the part of the show where I've been promised to someone will finally tell me what cryptocurrency really is. And I'm going to pitch this to, to Anthony. I can still remember two of my best friends in the world. Uh, shout out to Felton Kara in Austin, Texas, back when um, cryptocurrency was, you know, in its infancy, telling me how I needed to load up on it. I thought it was the dumbest thing I'd ever heard of. And I realized that's the moment in which I was becoming that guy that said, get off my lawn. And uh, I was missing out on great opportunities. But obviously, cryptocurrency has, has kind of taken off. And, and Anthony, please give me the, the best description you can of it. And then talk to us about this new executive order that you know has its own kind of take on cybersecurity as it relates to crypto. So when we talk about cryptocurrency, I, I think it's important to, to remember three things. So cryptocurrency is one, it's a virtual currency. So it's not like the dollar that you hold in your hand. It's a virtual, decentralized. So there's not a centralized authority or, or person responsible for it. And then it's pseudo anonymous. And so what that means is that when you buy something or make a purchase or make an interaction with your cryptocurrency, it's all recorded and logged but it doesn't say your name. Instead, it has a wallet ID. And so just looking at the the transaction, you can see every transaction that's happened, but you don't know exactly who did it. And so it's pseudo anonymous because it does provide wallet information. So those are the three things that kind of make cryptocurrency crypto. You know, one thing I think that's important about crypto as it relates to sort of the cyber security issue, and, and I think it's twofold. One, you know, the feds may have gotten into regulating the finance industry first because that's where they saw the biggest cyber risk, but they didn't regulate the cryptocurrency markets or, or industry. And so because of that, now that cryptocurrency has become so popular with Bitcoin and Ethereum and all the other various coins, it's both served as a means for the same types of scams that people were using with real money. And so the risks to, that cyber was presenting to your actual dollars or your, your tangible cash is the same now to your crypto cash and I think, or cryptocurrency. And I think that's what the Biden administration has realized is that just because you own cryptocurrency doesn't mean it's less susceptible somehow to these same scams. And I think the other thing about it is that it ends up being the preferred you know, currency for a lot of, of hackers and ne'er-do-wells, specifically when you're paying a ransomware mostly because of what Anthony said. It's pseudo-anonymous. So yes, we know we're paying one person, but we don't know who that person is. And that's how they want to keep it because they're the criminal, 
right? And so those two aspects of cryptocurrency as it relates to cyber, I think is why you've seen the Biden administration sort of recognize that if they're not behind the ball, this is the time to act or else we'll be behind the ball. And Anthony, is that through the executive order? Is that what Drew's alluding to? Uh, yes, yes. There was a recent executive order. And so while it didn't create regulations, it kind of talked about priorities for the administration. And some of those priorities included protecting consumers from fraud and then protecting consumers from cybersecurity incidences, because there's been several examples of these exchanges that people use to purchase cryptocurrency, being a victim of a cyber attack, and then people suffering the consequences from those breaches. Well, I know that this is a significant amount of information that we've covered today. And I know that the group uh, that you guys have and that Anthony chairs, I know you guys are constantly working on helping clients to get into situations where their data breaches or they need to have a plan in place uh, because they've had a breach or they don't want to have a breach or even if they get into you know litigation that involves it. I know you guys cover um, the waterfront. And I know one of the ways that you do that is getting out timely and uh, you know information packed client advisories and and information. Drew, if somebody out there said, uh, well, I got a taste of all the stuff that they're talking about, but I'd like to hear more, where, where would you direct them to? Um, anyone can send an email to cybernews at crowdunlevy.com and put subscribe in the subject line, and they will be signed up for our cyber news alert service that you know, I can't promise that it's coming out every single day. It's going to come out when something material comes out from the federal government or from the states that affect our clients that either presents a risk to them from a compliance standpoint or provides them with an opportunity to potentially you know, improve their risk profile or other cyber news that we think our clients need to be aware of. Well, and that's the way it should be. I don't think anybody wants their inbox filled with things that are just sent out to check a box. And I know from reading the materials that you guys send out, it's timely and it's only sent when it's uh, really something salient for you know people to know about cybersecurity and data privacy issues. So again, if you're interested, be sure to send us an email at cybernews at crowdunlevy.com. Put subscribe in the subject line and we will get you taken care of. Well, that puts a fine point on the topics that we're going to talk about today. But let's not, you know, wrap up the, today's discussion without uh, giving Drew an opportunity to play that game, uh, get to know that crow. We've played it with uh, Anthony before on his prior appearance on the show. And so we got to learn a little bit more about Anthony. But let's point our lens at Drew here for just a moment. I, uh, I've known Drew for many years and he and I uh, share a love of sports and I'm better at cheering for it. But once upon a time, Drew was better at playing it. Uh, he uh, was an offensive lineman uh, playing for the Brown Bears in college. So, uh, you know, you, you got to have the brains to be at an Ivy League school, but you need the brawn to play on the team. But what uh, intrigued me is uh, a few years back, I was watching uh, Hard Knocks, uh, the HBO special that chronicles uh, kind of the lead up to the beginning of an NFL season for a different team each year. And they were focusing on the Houston Texans and uh, their head coach, Bill O'Brien. And I had remarked to Drew that uh, the, the man had a talent for uh, curse words. It was uh, it was it was something to behold in watching the show. And lo and behold, Drew told me that he knew all about it. And, and tell our tell our listeners why you knew all about uh, Bill O'Brien and his ways uh, with uh, all things curse words? Well, uh, 
Bill O'Brien is a proud graduate of Brown University. Uh, go Brunonia. Um, and uh, Bill and I played uh, football together. He was three years ahead of me. So he was a senior when I was a freshman, I guess four years, um, and stayed on as a grad assistant and coached for a couple of years before he went off to his greatness at Georgia Tech and won Super Bowls with the Patriots and then was the first coach after uh, Joe Paterno at Penn State. Joe Paterno, also a Brown grad. So they replaced one Brown grad with another one. There you go. Um, we don't call him Bill O'Brien. We always called him Obi. Um, and, and Obi was a, was a very... Uh, mediocre defensive lineman uh, who did not start for the Brown Bears, but as it turns out, had had a heck of a brain for football and has been real successful. I think he's now the the offensive coordinator for Alabama. So he's not he's, a bad stop. He's got his bona fides. I, I don't want to second guess uh, Obi's uh, decisions on the football field, but but I still do because <laughs> uh, it's just natural. But yeah, we uh, we we uh, ha- had some time together back in Rhode Island in the day. Well, that's perfect. Well, it's uh, it's always good to reminisce about the good old days, and it's uh, fun to learn a little bit more about Drew, who is a a Renaissance man, if there ever was one. Not often that you can hear somebody talk about uh, their days in the trenches in football and then uh, turn to all things technology. But uh, that's what it means to be a member of the uh, Cybersecurity and Data Privacy Practice Group, helmed by Anthony Hendricks. It's becoming a big part of what we do here at the firm. It's really exciting how much you guys do in terms of outreach to the business community. You're to be commended for it. And I'm excited to see all the big things that you guys are going to be a part of as this is just, as I said earlier, the tip of the iceberg uh, when it comes to these regulations and really cybersecurity issues in general. So that puts a wrap on this week's show. Everyone uh, really enjoyed the time spent with Anthony and Drew. Looking forward to bringing you other exciting areas of the law in future episodes. But until we meet again, I hope that all of you stay safe and healthy and happy. And we look forward to seeing you again here on Briefly Legal. Briefly Legal.